Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tron Conquest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz. Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Talkhouse Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. On this week's episode, we've got everyone's favorite Canadian twin sister duo, Tegan and Sarah, in conversation with powerhouse songwriter and artist LP. Now, LP has had a fascinating winding career in the music business, starting out in the late 90s as a performer whose incredible voice attracted lots of attention in the industry. You'll hear about that in this chat, but who ended up kind of going through the ringer of that system. But LP turned their attention to writing songs for other people, which had an immediate and far-reaching effect. LP's compositions have been hits for the likes of Rihanna and Celine Dion, and for a while, it seemed like that's where LP's career would stay. But a return to performing about 10 years ago has borne some incredible fruit. And with a big personality like LP's, it's not surprising that TikTok and other social media has embraced them. LP's latest album is the powerful Love Lines. Check out a little bit of Dayglow from that album, and catch LP on tour in the U.S. right now through the end of the month. Dates are at imlp.com. The other half of today's conversation, Tegan and Sarah, started making music as teenagers and were flung into the spotlight very quickly, being signed to Neil Young's record label and opening for him when they were basically still kids. But they got some good advice, you'll hear about that here as well, that helped the twin sisters navigate the ups and downs of fame. Over the course of 25 years, they've released 10 albums, a memoir that was then turned into a TV series, a graphic novel, and much more. They are creative lifers, and the world is a better place because of it. Check out a little bit of the song Yellow from Tegan and Sarah's latest album, Cry Baby. In this lively conversation, you'll hear about two incredible, uncompromising careers. These three talk about how their music has not only inspired joy in other people, but also understanding. LP talks about visiting other countries where many people in the audience perhaps hadn't met a gay person, at least not knowingly. They get into all things Canada, the vital importance of a good monitor mix, the possibility of a collaboration, and the primal wound that inspires creativity. Enjoy. <laughs> Where are you right now? I'm in LA. At your house? This is my house, yeah. I, I leave Saturday for um for tour. North America, I'm going into Canada. Are you playing Vancouver on this tour? I don't think I am. Hold on, was I I'm uh, I'm very lame and sometimes I just don't like look at the book. Uh yeah, I'm playing Toronto, Montreal and Montreal. Not not Vancouver, unfortunately. Everybody leaves out <laughs> Vancouver. Yeah. We were just laughing about this that most bands, especially once you get to a place where you can really sell tickets, you play Montreal and Toronto, maybe Vancouver. But we were saying like, it's such a funny thing. Cause like, you know, Canada's kind of like, I guess it's the size of Germany or, you know, or yeah, 
like it's, you know, 30 million people and that it, you can actually, we just were like literally talking about this with our management, you know, there's 30 playable cities, in my opinion, yeah. you know, really good markets, I love but Americans Canada. skip I love it. Canada. You got to do like a cross Canada tour. You got to do it all. People would freak. Yeah. That's what I think we're trying to accomplish with the next year, like a little, its own thing. I'm going to call your agent. Please do. I can call my agent. Also, you know, I kept saying that I, I'm two beers too many or, or more. I don't know. And I kept saying to you, like, when I kept going, let's talk about doing something. <laughs> 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 last time I saw you guys, that first time. I have to do something. I want to do something with you guys. Well, maybe it's a cross Canada tour. So you it's can a, learn. You can know all about it. Yeah. I could just like, like open for you guys for an entire Canada tour. We, we're going out next spring with. Becca Mancari, do you know who she is? Uh, I haven't heard her name in a minute. Oh, God, she... she's so great. I'm going to send you her new record. It's really good. Okay. But she's coming out with us. She's doing one province, which is like the equivalent of playing <laughs> one state, but we're doing 13 shows in that province. <laughs> and she keeps texting, I can't Dope. wait to tour with you guys in Canada. I can't wait to see Canada. And I'm like, Becca, it's only <laughs> one province. <laughs> and it's going to be depressing because it's going to be March. <laughs> It's going to just be cold and they're like, these are all great markets to play, but it's sort of like a, it's sort of like, well, you do a lot of international touring. It's kind of like touring like parts of Europe that get like four hours of light in winter. You know, those kinds of tours. <laughs> oh, you know? of course. Yeah. Well, you know, like a whole tour where you're just like, did the sun even come up? She's like that in Italy sometimes. Right? They're like yeah. all, so many, all these cities in Italy and it'll be like, they're like in a castle. It takes like hours to get there. As soon as you get there. No food's available because it's whatever the Italian siesta. I don't know what that yeah, is. Yeah, they're like eat at eat at eleven p.m. We we start <laughs> at eleven. You need to sound check and do an entire show on no food. <laughs> I'm so I'm so curious. Like every time I open my TikTok, I just get so much content of yours, and it's just oh, really? always yeah, and it's always you in some sort of far off, far flung, magical place <laughs> or just like Russia. Like it's just, it's weird or something. Like yeah, it's just I don't always really, like, I don't live in this world. Like it, I made it all up. It's all, it's, it's a, I don't actually exist. It's like, it's a, it's a heist. <laughs> it's crazy. Like how did that happen? Um, that song, man, lost in you just kind of hit, hit a different type of person, hmm. you know, not a different type of person. Like it, it just like, I was, I was told in Russia, that um, I sound like to them, and I've had a, I had like a few hits in Russia, but I that I sound like people like from years ago, like my sound, my voice, and how I sing my songs kind of like um, have this old um, sound to them or something the, like that. The how you know, pro- you know, I would say passion, but probably the histrionicness <laughs> with which I sing <laughs> is like something that just makes them think of like, you know, war and famine and hard times. I don't know. I'm not sure. Damn. But um, they seem to like it. I, I think this is like a difficult thing to kind of translate to a to a North American audience. But when you're an artist and you start to have success in countries or places um, in Europe or well, anywhere in the world, I mean, we've had this experience, you know, over the, our 25 years. Um, in a in a handful of places, but when you go there, there's this almost assumption on your part as an artist that you have so much in common with these people. They like my music. We're going to have so much in common with each other. Right. But, so, but so often the the music is one of the only things mm-hmm. that connects you. And there's this kind of like cultural exchange that happens, and it can be really disorienting. Like I remember being in places where, like for example, like 
okay, people are listening to my music, so they must speak English. And, you know, you might have a fan that doesn't understand English at all, or maybe only understands like a little tiny bit of it, but there's something in your delivery or your vocals or your, the music that is what's um, connecting them. And that's so beautiful in the reverse. Like there's very few of us English speakers who are just like listening to like Italian music. And we're just like, I have no idea what they're saying, but I just, but you know, examples of it. Like, so like, like Bolare. You know what I mean? Like, and like nobody knows. A lot of people don't know what the fuck they're singing, but right. there's something romantic and beautiful in it. I think, mm. and um, yeah. and that, and that, you know, and someone's voice, you know, Edith Piaf, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And it's weird because I do find things in common, actually. And um, I don't know about you guys. I, I wonder if you ever feel like because I know. It, Bear with me now. I'm gonna ex- try to explain myself without sounding like I think I'm inventing the wheel. <laughs> Because I'm not, <laughs> I just say like, sometimes I don't know what the, you know, I feel like when you roll into these countries and, and um, especially men meet you, you know, and you're like, hey, what's up? You know, and then just like thinking you're going to be like some brutal, horrible man hater, you know, and, and like, I don't know, it feels like you're, you're, you're breaking some barriers, you know, when oh, like, yeah. they kind of like, and it's because, you know. I mean, I know we, we think that like there's been many before us, you know, that have like kind of broken that thing and they have for sure. But, um, but it's still, it still, it didn't get to everybody and everybody has their own example, you know? And, um, and I feel like, you know, even though you think people have, you know, met a lesbian, met a, a gay person, a, a lot of people haven't. And, mm-hmm. and, or, or they or they have, you know, it's their sister or their cousin or, or their mother <laughs> or something like that. And then they're like, you know, they're either looking to understand or looking to hate on it or looking, you know, on it and you roll in with a song they love and it just changes their, um, yeah. you know, their whole thing. And, and I love that part of it. We relate. I think Sarah and I have said this time and time again over like now our, like this is our 25th year of touring and being in a band oh. and we've seen some some shit, you know what I mean? You were out there in early <laughs> days, like really, like, you know, on a, on a high level, like, you know, like being like, yeah, go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even before we were maybe comfortable articulating it on stage, like, yeah. like our first tour was in the year 2000 opening for Neil Young. And, yeah. you know, we had short, spiky hair. You know, like we looked very Is that where the banter gay. came from? Like, yeah, from like yeah. nervousness? <laughs> yeah, filling time. Yeah. Fill, it was tr- yeah. truly just we a fill time. We also didn't have and, very many songs, you know? Yeah, you're like absolutely winning people over and and people don't know the do. songs. So, yeah. you, you know, like you don't want to just pack the set full of music because, I, yeah, I just think Sarah and I sort of, as, as young people had felt that we could like win people over, charm them a bit. Yeah. But so we'd seen, like we've seen a lot of weird things and we've stood in front of a lot of audiences that I think imagined upon seeing us or hearing us that they didn't have anything in common with us. And I think, yeah, we used, oh, we're siblings. We used to say like, I could tell when I stood on stage in front of an audience, if I needed to say, we're from Canada. Like I could tell the audiences <laughs> that would really buy that. Or if we were like, we're twins, like how do we, how do we chip away at it? And I used to say, it's sort of like, I think exactly what you were starting to get at is that we start to transcend ignorance or prejudice or homophobia even by just winning people over, you know, whether it's sitting yeah. on a plane next to an older suit, you know, business guy yeah. and like being like, Oh, do you have kids? And he's like, Oh, I got a daughter. Oh, cool. What kind of music does she listen to? And like start to kind of <laughs> win someone over just by like connecting with them and having them see parallels. But the more international our band got and the more we toured and traveled to places where, you know, we were 
queer people were still seen as not equal citizens and didn't have the right to marriage or places the extreme where they were not allowed to be out or could face persecution. I think we learned that one of the things that seemed to win people over, and it's the same thing that brings people comfort was bringing this, bringing everyone together that were different, that maybe had different beliefs and music does that, you know, like it's so cheesy, but like music is universal. It's the universal language. It, creates and inspires feeling that you look around. I mean, I have that feeling still when I go to a concert, I just saw Maggie Rogers recently. Mm. And it's like, I'm looking around and everyone in the audience looks so different, but everyone looks so happy. And everybody was looking at her and she looked so happy, like ridiculously (laughs) happy. And like, it was like, her face was on these big screens. And I just had this moment, like a reminder that music it really does bring people together and generate we, something inside of us that allows us to feel like we're a part of something and we're also a part of it together. You know, you come you come into this room with a bunch of strangers and you just start to commune about mm-hmm. the music of some person and you're just like standing next to someone that you would never really me- maybe meet or even connect with and you're just connecting through music. It's um, um, I'm so glad it came back. <laughs> because <laughs> you know, it really is like like no other thing that we do really. Yeah. That brings up an interesting point because we sort of casually know each other, but I don't really know you that well. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I, like Tegan was saying, like I sort of just know your internet um, presence and, and persona. Mm-hmm. And co- this is funny. And I hope this is not like, I hope that you'll take this as a compliment, but you remind me of someone who like, you really live the lifestyle. Like at least that's the projection online. Like you're a rock star. Like I am not a rock star. You are, I, but, but you no. don't like, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I'm not, but you really are. And I feel like mm-hmm. you really present this thing, even in person. Like, I know you're normal and I know you're like a normal person and you like wash your dishes, I assume and stuff. But like, you know, I, um, you really like leaned into like, this is your persona. Like you really have this like big charismatic presence online. And like, I feel like Tegan and I, one of the ways, or at least specifically me, one of the things that you know, probably as a result of like feeling a lot of the nervousness at the beginning of our career and, and, and feeling like one of the ways to win people over was to sort of, um, make myself relatable as a normie, a normie, as I call it, I'm like married to a normie. I just feel like I'm very like, here's an, I'm a normal person. And in some ways that's probably being Canadian too. Like I always was trying to like, (laughs) I was trying to like tone down the rock starness. I don't, I don't call it rock star. I'm just a little bit even wilder than my presence. I have to tone it down. Like I'm like, (laughs) am I drinking too much online? Am I like, should I not? I was going to make a drink for every single like song on my new record. Then I was like, maybe I seem like I drink too much. <laughs> and, like, and then I just like click it off and have a drink, you know, whatever the hell it is. I'm trying to keep it a lid on it, to be honest with you. I don't know how to explain it, but I'm also normal. I do wash the dishes. I will write after this. Show. I want to add one thing to Sarah's question because I want to push on this a little bit too, because I do think it's interesting. You know, I don't want to define rock star for Sarah or for you, but I just mean what I see online is just someone who it seems like you live to perform and you live to make stuff mm-hmm. and you live. That's when yeah. Sarah says like, you're living the lifestyle and really leaning in. I think for Sarah and I, sometimes probably this is a bad thing, but we kind of turn off Tegan and Sarah when we get home. Like we both joke yeah. like until recently, like we don't even have guitars in the house. Like it's like, we're almost like forget yeah. <laughs> that we're musicians. Um, you really seem yeah. to lean into that. Is that like, can you t- speak to that? I think it's, you know, cause it's not just about music. Like, like, um, in, in my life off when I'm off either. Um, it's, it's, you know, (laughs) it's about, you know, 
stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I just like, I don't, but I don't think about music. It's like I go and I, when I want to write, I go, I get a house and I start writing. I'm just kind of collecting mm. and like, I don't know, uh, um, hanging out. Yeah. I play music with my friends a bit, but um, I've been touring so much that I just like in between tours, I'm just going out and hanging out and um, experiencing my life and um, traveling a bit. How did, like, how did you know how to do this though? Like, how did you know how to like design a life that looked this way? I don't want to like compare you to another artist, but you remind me of like Axl Rose in the sweet note or no, that November rain video, you know, like it feels like you're like, do that video. That's what I want. Did you have an example of how you were going to live your creative life to its fullest? Like not just writing music, but just like living, like living yeah. really seem like you're living. Yeah. Did you have an example of that? Or did you like, design it based on what you didn't want i don't know i just was like always very social like i came from like this family like it was just like the two choices were lawyer or doctor <laughs> my older brother's a brain surgeon and wow. i'm this you know <laughs> and i i think i just had a huge chip on my shoulder with control and my father like just like you know his idea of what you had to do and how you know and he was you know he was a wild man as well but with like um you know he didn't deserve to be <laughs> You know, fucking pay your bills and then be a fucking wild man. You know, I'll tell you what, I pay my bills. I'm like, I'm the wildest, um, dependable person ever. <laughs> you know, everything's <laughs> fucking paid for. All the bills are paid. Everything's done. You know, there's no like, kind of like, whoops. I just like, you know, I didn't pay my taxes. But anyway, I, yeah, I, um, I don't know. I just, um, yeah, I, I. I joke, but it's really grateful that I got to do this at all because it was a pretty harrowing experience, <laughs> you know, getting here. So yeah. I'm just like, and then I just, I feel like I want to honor it with like just creating and how I create is just like, I kind of just free fall like in between mm. records. And then I come, and then when I feel like I'm just bursting at the seams with like, like feelings, I just I try to get it all down. And I worry about it a little bit because I live in this precarious, like, Nowhereville. Sometimes, not. I'm not trying to be like, oh, I, I, <laughs> it's not a small cry for help. Help. <laughs> but I do live in this precarious place. I feel like where I'm always kind of um, waiting to like create something. But I'm, you know, I don't know. I I kind of work on that a little. Like I'm present, but there's always something about to break out, like a a song, or something. I don't know, something like that. What were you like as a kid? I was just like all over the place. I, I don't know how you guys felt, but a very like, you know, a square peg being pounded into a round hole kind of thing. And I just was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not like, I don't want to go to school, even though I was decent at school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't had no idea where to start this fucking thing. You know, I was the youngest and all the cousins and stuff. Like that. My older cousin was just like, what are you going to be a rock star? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't know, Jim. You know, like, what the fucking kind of question is that? I don't fucking know. Like, I don't even know what that is. I felt the best and I got the most feedback when I sang, hmm. you know? And so I was just like, how to parlay that into even, I, you know, I didn't even really, I like wrote stories when I was a kid, but I didn't really write poetry or anything. I, I like, honestly, no idea what I was doing. And so, so I'm, I, I'm continuously um, marveling at like where I landed. So I think I'm just having a good fucking time. You yeah. know, I like when uh, Jim Morrison says in the doors moves, I'm just, or no, he says it in real life. I'm going to just get my kicks before the whole shit house goes up and up. <laughs> 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 That's basically the epitaph that, that I'm wrangling for.
Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the TalkHouse podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process, and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of TalkHouse is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too. The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. Is there a point in your career that you can track back to and be like, oh, that's, I made this mistake and that's like, you took the route, like oh, yeah. the long way, like, you know. Oh, like, I always took the long way. Did you guys have that? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, of like, course. I could have taken, taken a straight path instead I took. Yeah. But I think we were signed right out of high school and. Yeah, it's huge. And thankfully, someone jumped in really early on and was like, do not sign to a major label and do not sign a record deal in Canada. And yeah. the the reasons for that were laid out for us, but I don't think we understood exactly why, but we just, yeah. our instincts told us to listen to that. And so we took like a very, 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 very long route to any sort of commercial or financial success. But I'm so grateful because that time was when we developed who we were and yeah. we did it pretty anonymously. So even though it was really hard and those years are pretty rough when I look back at them, those were years of development we wouldn't have gotten if we yeah. taken the other I path. I think the equivalent for me is the um when I saw I uh, you know I had an indie deal in 2001 and then an, and then another like a like a decent sized indie and then a and then a small one in 2004 and then I was just touring like balls of your ass touring with a few guys in a band. And then I got my first major label deal in 2006. And I didn't have anybody telling me like, Oh, don't sign a major. I had a guy that was trying to fucking get me signed for a while that I knew was a snake, but I was like, uh, all right, fuck it. You know, I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. So, so he got me, you know, he got me into the system and then I started like writing songs with um, bigger people and like kind of, mm -hmm. kind of, you know, really learning more about that. But I, but that, and then there was that three-year stint that I was in the major label system, 2006, 2009. And then I, and then in 2009, I, I, no record came out. And then in 2009, I got a publishing deal. And, and I just was like, put my head down and started writing songs for other people, which I thought was my life. So that was when I, I let go of the artist thing completely. I just really was like, I was like, mm, almost like, okay, now I don't have to be looked at. I don't have to be like, what is your, what is your look? What is your sound? What's your song? You know? And then I, I just embarked on this um, this more subtle path, which I kind of dug, you know what I mean? I oddly didn't miss touring at all. I mean, I wasn't, mm. you know, exposed to great touring as it was, but but um, yeah, from 2006 to like 2011, I hadn't toured at all when I was like touring for like five years before that, like nonstop. 
Um, and so in that time, I really, and I really hustled, you know, I was like doing like, I, 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 in fact, it broke up my, my long-term relationship. I was with my girlfriend in New York, living with her on the Lower East Side. And then I was like going back and forth like I was when I was signed to the labels and I was going back and forth just to write songs. And then I started writing all these different kinds of songs. And that's like how I got like all this, like this, this eclectic bunch of music, like with like fucking Rihanna and then like Joe Walsh did one of my songs, the Backstreet Boys, um, Christina Aguilera. It's like all over the place. Cause I was just, I was just trying to get in any fucking room I could. Cause I was like, yeah. this is what, this is what I got to do. And it's, and it's volume, you know, when you're a songwriter, you want to, you know, you want as many fucking songs out there to like get, be generating, you know, income. And then um, I wrote a few songs that were just for me through like I picked up a ukulele and it just like it it broke through my arm and my heart because I just was like it was this little dinky stupid instrument stupid <laughs> that I was just like <laughs> okay and just started writing shit on it and then, uh, then all of a sudden it was like it it was like a breakthrough hmm. and then I got signed to Warner Brothers as an artist in 2011 which I was not expecting and and all that eclectic shit that I was doing kind of like funneled into my artist thing you know I, I was really focused on just being a songwriter and then I became an artist again I was like oh shit and it, and it just happened like that like I think if I had gone like this is how I'm gonna do it I'm gonna write songs <laughs> it wouldn't happen how much do you songwrite for other people or with other people still just uh I'm not just, doing it much but I, I yeah. like to I just been so busy and it seems like everything I write seems like my you know my own like I mean I, you know I also like kind of I'm like I uh, just shuttle songs you know into like my into uh, uh to the side for people to pick over if they want like like even celine dion did a song of mine on her last record and uh, <laughs> she just picked a song that i had written for um my record at that time for church's last record and uh i was like ah oh, shit celine i would have fucking written you a, song, a better song than that because i didn't even want to put that on my record but uh she killed it do you guys write for other people not really. Like we have done writing over the years, but what you're talking about, which I think is really disciplined and almost habitual, like that kind of like writing all the time. Yeah. I don't think either of us have ever been particularly devoted to that. And I, I have nothing but respect for people who are just professional songwriters. I think it requires a lot of discipline that I think Tegan and I have just been so consumed by the artist part of like keeping ourselves afloat that we would dip our toe in and then it's sort of like it's easy to get distracted and i just um and i'm always like honored when people want to work on stuff with us or collaborate with us and i think it's still one of those things of like i i i know we're known by lots of people as great songwriters but i think it's still one of those things that it's almost like we're still proving ourselves as songwriters in Mm -hmm. some way um But you've had such an interesting career in terms of like having so much success as a songwriter. And then also like this, which is, and again, people don't always understand this. Like it is hard to do what you did, like to go from being the songwriter to becoming an artist who is known mm. in the way that you are. Tegan and I are talking a lot about this right now because we're like, you know, in our 40s and we're looking at like, okay, we've accomplished a lot of things, but like what's, what else do we want to accomplish that could be like creative, yeah. bucket list shit. But like what for you is like, what's sort of like the stuff that you still want or what, what's sort of like fueling you these days? You know, it's endless fucking um, desire for, to write more songs, you know, to like kind of connect. I'm just absolutely obsessed and fascinated with that, that three and a half, four minutes of like glory, <laughs> you know, and not whatever it's popular or whatever, you know, um, but I, you know, like I, I'm really, really, I love my new record right now. You know, I'm like, this is like just starting this cycle. And, um, but you know, so I, I'm like, 
I hope it's connecting. I don't know. I think I won't know it. You know how sometimes you don't know until you get out there? Because it's not yeah. like, you know, I'm not like Post Malone. <laughs> you know, I'm just, but I'm I'm really excited to, you know, play this stuff for people. And I got a few a few more, you know, records in the immediate future. And then I don't know what comes after that, but maybe a memoir. <laughs> so, <you know. laughs> like the, the working title right now is One for the Nursing Home. <laughs> but I, I will see. <laughs> I want a person that when they discover me, it's like kind of like if you had a one bedroom in New York and you, you like knocked down the wall in the closet and it was just like a mansion in there. Like, oh, yeah. Holy shit. You know, like, and uh, people like wading through like <laughs> records and records and records, you know. So I think that's super cool and super interesting. I mean, Sarah and I talk about that all the time. Like, our, well, I, don't, I won't adopt it for Sarah, but certainly my mantra the last like year has been lean into legacy. And to me, that's got a lot to yeah, do yeah. with catalog. I'm not saying that we're done writing. We're not. We write all the time. But I think for me, there's a lot of joy in creating a set list for a tour and pulling from the back catalog and watching yeah. people discover like yeah. different eras of our music. Mm. And we That's were just cool. recently like had lunch with Jack Antonoff and we were talking about like what we were going to do next. And he made this like offhand comment, but I really thought a lot about it and I laughed about it, but he's like, you're like one TikTok video away from someone discovering back in your head or closer all over again. And you'll be like, Oh man, <laughs> yeah, I gotta like play the, those songs again. What's that song by uh, Jane? Is it the one that everybody's there? Yeah. 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 Like that. You keep seeing these songs like be it's true. <laughs> adopted. I mean, even, even closer to fine, like being in the Barbie movie and like, uh, you know, it's like, I think that for a band like us, I definitely don't adhere or buy into this idea that your, you know, first couple of records, that's it. And then everything you make after that is just kind of derivative. I don't agree with that because actually our biggest records were our fifth record and our seventh record. I think you guys are always pushing yourselves to like, you know, yeah, do something for, different, for more, take risks. More, more stuff of yourself, you know, like, like another yeah. aspect of yourself. And that's so dope. Yeah. And I think you can do that. I think as artists, I think there was a time in our career where we were sort of almost taught to think that like being nostalgic or to rely too much on the past was bad. But I yeah. don't agree because I think that especially artists like us, like all of us who tour, the reality is, is that a lot of people stop going to concerts. That's the reality. You constantly yeah. have to be reintroducing yourself to a new audience because young people are the ones for the you know most part who come out and buy merch and get wild and histrionic mm -hmm. online and buy merch and pledge their love <laughs> to you. And it sort of keeps the the ecosystem flourishing. And so for me, yeah. I think reinventing ourselves is super important for every new record, but I also think we should not abandon what we've created. No. And, and, uh, you know, it is, it is legacy. I mean, look at, I think like every, even every documentary now you see of an artist, you could tell that it's really geared toward legacy. Yeah. Like they're really showing you, like if you watch like a, a really good example, I thought was like the Eric Clapton one. It was just like, he was like showing you all, right. All these different, um, past things and and you know and also it speaks to what you were just saying about i mean listen to the different voices of that guy over his mm. career like he's like singing in these weird you know bob dylan too sometimes you're just like what is the lay lady lady voice <laughs> what the fuck is that there was all that controversy on like line about the billboard article that said like record industry execs are despondent because they can't figure out how to create you know like career artists or icons or you know of past generations and you know, I rarely weigh into this stuff, especially online because mm. who cares? But I tweeted out a thread of basically being like, I mean, you have to invest. It takes They killed the whole idea of that. Well, when I got signed to Warner Brothers, they were like, you know, 
you're like a career artist, a legacy artist. Uh, um, what's the other fucking word they had? I mean, they were just like the shit that they fucking, I, I can only imagine, you know, what you guys were, but the mm-hmm. shit they said to me. And then all of a sudden it was like, I couldn't even, I played them lost on you. And the new president like dropped me after I played him that, and, uh, <laughs> which was a huge favor. Cause I had, I owed the record company like a million point six and that's like all gone. I didn't have to deal with that, but like, but it's that's just awesome. so funny that like, you know, when I first got a major label deal, I'd be like, you know, they'd be like, I knew it. I always knew you were a star. You were a star. I, that, I mean, it's a star. You can't stop a star. Now, can't. And then when I got dropped, they'd be like, I mean, what are you going to do with that? There's no way to market that. I don't know how to do it. Then I fucking get another fucking deal. They'd be like, that's what a star does. A star rises from the edge like a phoenix. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Not to pick on the young, young folks, but like you had to be resilient. You know, you've had these ups and downs and it's totally nauseating to hear people sort of twist that into a narrative that works to their advantage, not necessarily yours. I think people now, there's such an obsession with breaking fast and breaking over and over again. You know, most of us, you know, that started 20 years ago, you know, we always saw it as like, not necessarily breaking, but you have to be able to rise and fall. That's just natural. Yeah, it's good for you. (laughs) What's more? (laughs) Well, I always say the plateau, I, I don't even think it is falling. I just think of it as like after a peak, like after walking with a ghost, for example, with Sarah and I. Yeah. We plateaued. It wasn't bad. We were at a whole other level, but we plateaued for a bit, which got, gave us time to organize our thoughts, develop our live show, yeah. to reach that bigger audience and connect with them live and build a relationship, life, maybe. live some <laughs> yeah. life. And then it was like when Closer hit, you know, when we did the pop songs yeah. thing, it's like we had structure. Like we didn't fall apart because we, at that point, had 13 years of structure yeah. and foundation and support and understanding of how the business works. We had boundaries. We knew who we were. And and then we plateau. Mm. We've been on a plateau ever since. I don't think of it as failure. I think of it as time, time to figure out what do you build next? It's foundational. Well, you guys really kind of went on a reinventing thing that I think is badass and pretty knowable. I kind of like stick to the, 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 the program for myself. I mean, I have some like, um, whatever dance tracks out that like, you know, I had like, you know, in, in Europe and stuff, I have like, you know, I don't know. I, I like, I like to do that kind of shit sometimes, but, um, but I haven't really, um, I don't know about reinvent. I think this record for me feels very fresh. So I'm happy with it. You know what I mean? I feel mm-hmm. like it's like a sort of a return to form, but it doesn't feel same, same, you know, mm-hmm. but I don't know. So but some ways that goes back to like the beginning of our conversation too, where there's something about you that is timeless. Like to me, your voice and thing that you're really tapping into and not to dog on us, but like Tegan and I are working with some deficits. We are not natural singers. (laughs) Oh, oh, I know you're going to say that, but trust me, we know, we know what our strengths are, our personality and our charm and our storytelling and the way that we can sort of take the sort of temperature of the cultural mood. Those are the things that we, we naturally did as individuals, just as like teenagers, you know, we were kind of like. You know when people will be like, when I was a kid, like artists, they'll be like, I was a fucking loser and like people hated me and they like rose, rose up and now I'm the most popular thing or whatever. Like we don't have that. <laughs> we were kind of popular. Like we, we always sort of like, like we were weirdos and we were like misgendered. Oh, <laughs> we were people still kind of liked us. Like even when we, cause I think we were, you know, we were kind of like, are fucking adorable. we were cute and we were like twins <laughs> and we had good personalities and whatever. So like, I yeah. think actually it kind of gets back to this idea too, that like, you know, that reinvention thing is also like, you know, that's one of the ways that we challenge ourselves. I think, you know, internally within our own band, it's less about like, you know, commercial success or about like surprising people. It's actually more just about keeping ourselves interested. We're kind of in this like 
endless loop of um I always think of it like like sports that require only two people like Tegan and I are playing tennis against each other you know we're not playing against mm. you know the industry we're not we're not we're not a doubles team you know we are playing against each other and so to reinvent ourselves is a way to sort of keep ourselves passionate and alive but I was thinking about this idea you know when we were talking about like um you know looking our looking at our past and this kind of idea that for a lot of us, there's this kind of like primal wound or this like initial thing that inspired mm-hmm. us to sort of like go out into the world and, and um, make music, you know, it's as in the beginning, it sort of is like a, it's a, it's a healing thing, I think. And this idea of remembering, I, I was reading in this book the other day, this, this, I thought this was so beautiful, but they, if you break down the word remembering, like a remember, like a remembering, meaning like to reassemble ourselves again and again. Yeah. yeah. You know? I never thought about that. It's dismember, remember. <laughs> like, and it's never done. You know, when you've suffered yeah. something, it can be a breakup or it could be sort of deeper than that. But I feel like this, you know, to be in this stage of sort of remembering is, is to also be like a self, a self-soothing or a self-healing or whatever. But do you feel that pressure to sort of like I know you're saying your sound hasn't totally evolved, but do you feel like your message has had to evolve? No, I think your sound has evolved. I mean, I think I, I can push it further, I I think. But I think that, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of my songs are are um, trying, me trying to heal myself, you know, or me p- trying to pump myself up. There's usually on every record, there's songs that are like, I have a song on this record called Golden, it opens it up. And it's just like me going like, you know, it's not that bad. I'm not doing some fucked up <laughs> shit. Well, you did some fucked up shit. And, um, but, you know, we're fine. We learned a lot. Like, you know, it helped us. It facilitated the next relationship. How's that? You know, like, mm-hmm. let's just look at it positively. <laughs> then I'm also, you know, kind of um, commiserating with other people like that, you know, are in these, um, you know, I guess relationship things or whatever. But it's like cathartic. You know, it's how I exercise the demons out and, and kind of, and then, you know, use them to like, again, like commiserate with people about, you know, our, our you know, commonality and whatever. And, and uh, I don't know, like sometimes, you know, in being in an interview and, I'll, you know, I'll get into something with like, I'll just be like, I don't like this motherfucker. Because they're just like, oh, like a relationship song. So I was like, what the fuck do you want me to write about? You know, <laughs> fucking taxes, fucking, you know, like, I mean, it's not, it's not the motherfucking sixty. Dude, you know, it's like it's just like I, I mean, yeah, I mean, also every song on the radio is basically. I mean, yeah, we could I talk about you know um, a night out. <laughs> I could do that, but why? We've gone down that path so many times with journalists. We also, I mean, I think that this is probably something that gets thrown more at women than men. But like this idea that like writing about your relationship is a bad thing or somehow makes your music not as significant. And I totally disagree. I mean, we're all obsessed with the human condition and our lives are just a series of relationships we have with people. And I think the exploration of that through music is noble and there's an enormous amount of vulnerability and peeling back the layers and work that you're doing on yourself that helps literally like hundreds of thousands of people around the world. So (laughs) Um, fuck them. But, um, I have, I have like one question, like, as we sort of get near the end of this conversation, again, bookending things with like, you started this by talking about how you're about to head out on tour. I don't know exactly how to articulate this question, but like, you know, having just gone back to touring, we basically had taken like almost a five year hiatus from touring, but going back to it has been really wonderful and regenerative and cathartic and exciting. But I feel self-conscious on stage and I never used to feel self-conscious on stage. Yeah, mm. and I and I don't know what that's about. I've been like talking about it with a lot of other artists, but I I don't I feel that post pop 
you know, because our show, we're playing to a click and we're all on in-ears and the lights are, you know, time code. And like, (laughs) I don't feel free up there. Yeah, curious. Do that. Yeah. So you're asking me if I feel free? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how free do you feel? Yeah. Um, well, like, how do you I, feel you on know. stage? What does it feel like as you prepare to go on tour? Like for me, it's like preparing for like, it's intense and it's exciting and it's really, really, really <laughs> disciplined. And that's really good for yeah. Sarah. And I think we've excelled as, or we've really grown as artists because of this. It's not all bad, but I don't feel free. Yeah. Do you, what do you feel like? Yeah, I'm pretty like disciplined on tour and, and you know the biggest thing for me, um, just personally, it's just like like my relationship with my voice on stage, and like this endless fucking monitor man situation that I've kind of had, <laughs> um, because like they're so integral to like everything I'm trying to do up there, you know, and I'm just mm. really so at their their mercy in a way. Like I wish I could hear everything so beautifully in my ears the way it is on the record, and you know, so <laughs> sometimes you know, like. You know, one of the guys will get my monitor mixed by mistake and they're like, Jesus Christ, what's <laughs> happening there? Because I'll be like, it'll get whittled down to just a, a fucking click. Yeah, that's <laughs> Sarah. The guitar, my voice blasting. And they're like, and I'm like, yeah, it's not fucking fun, man. It depends on the night, you know, um, taking out one of my in-ears and like, you know, fucking up one of my ears because of that, you know, um, uh, not not too bad, but just like, trying to hear the crowd, trying to feel that visceral connection, yeah. you know, yeah. and that is, you know, that's the endless quest, you know, mm. I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I do wonder sometimes, you know, what it must've felt like to be like the fucking Almond brothers or something like that. It's like, let's just go into this other song. Let's, <laughs> I hate this word, but let's jam. Yeah, let's you jam. Know? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, man, I'm jealous of that scenario. Do you think, do you feel like you think mostly about music on stage or do you think about the audience? I want to make like the show and like the whole presentation of the song unforgettable, but yeah, I'm pretty, I'm so like locked into the audience. I kind of had to like re, I had to like change my voice teacher and stuff because I literally had to re like my golf swing got all fucked up. Cause when I got bigger, I was like, I felt like I wasn't, I was projecting cause I'm trying to like, I try to look at like literally every single fucking person in the audience. I'm a weirdo yeah. like that. That's like, um, my favorite part of it, you know, is like really mm-hmm. just like, um, like, I'm like trying to acknowledge every person. So like your pie chart with the bigger piece of the pie be that you think mostly about how to connect to the audience and, yeah, and less about like what you're hearing. Or performance? Yeah. I mean, sometimes you're like, if it's, I could, my in ear could absolutely suck a bag. And I'm like, fuck it. I don't really have, I don't have the time or I don't want to distract my energy from the audience by like, yeah, by being like, you know, um, you know, can you fucking, t- can you, yeah. you know, I'll, every once in a while I'll turn around and be like, I'm like, can you sweeten it up a bit? Can you make me sound like I can actually fucking sing, please? Thank you. <laughs> fascinating i could just talk for hours about this topic (laughs) monitors is like a no one else is as interested as 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 i think singers in particular people just don't we talk about this with the band all the time like i just don't think anyone understands it's so specific to like you just you're trying to feel it and connect with the audience and yeah it's just it's so fascinating even writing sometimes writing for other people or something but writing for myself the most it's like if i sound shitty to myself in the mix when I'm trying to like invent this melody and these words 
I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm really bummed out because, like, I mean, make me sound like, make it sound like it's already fucking on the radio. Yeah, <laughs> that's yes, what I yes, need. Yes, and then yes. if someone doesn't get it back to me like that, and that's and that's the thing, I'm always like forever like, hey, what does it sound like? Can you guys connect? Because I'll, I'll hear it in the house and it'll sound good, and I'll be like, I need. Why can't it be a direct line like to what I'm hearing in the house? So I know, and that's that's how I was like kept taking out my in ear, you know, on yeah. this one, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, and um, yeah, you know, it's a really dangerous thing to do, you know. But yeah. you, you can tell if the audience is grasping it, you know. Yeah, it feels like ninety five percent of the time they are, you know. But I can tell immediately if I'm just like, you know, and then that's when I take one out and be like. The fuck is going on? Yeah, yeah, what's happening out there? Yeah. Yeah. It's the mystery of being a performer sometimes too. Like we'll get off stage and think to ourselves, wow, like, you know, Sarah and I might come off stage and be, wow, that was a bad crowd. And the guys in the band will be like, wow, that was amazing. And it'll be like our Always. biggest merch night Every of time. the tour. I'm like, yeah. that was brutality. And they'll be like, that was fucking the best show I think we've done on this tour. I'm like, I'm fucking kidding. Like, I know. So it's like, it's, it's always just trying to figure out how not to be in your head. And Tegan and I have profoundly different ways of being on stage, I think, in terms of like what we need in order to feel comfortable and like perform. I pretty much use my in-ears as earplugs. I mean, I hear click and I hear my voice. The suggestion of music needs to be there, which is its <laughs> own sort of like insane balance. But mm. I need to trust myself and what I can hear in my own body. So like for me, like to yeah. be to just hear my own voice in my body, like with ear. A lot of people are just like, that sounds like a nightmare. But when I can hear my head voice and when I can control the timbre of my voice through my actual bones, like my skull. The yeah. Like, like the sizzle, you know, yeah. like the, like the, you know. That's I what I that. need. I can't trust a mix. Like I can't trust a good mix yeah. or a bad mix. So I almost like relearned how to sing just hearing it through the actual, just like vibration in my skull or something. Yeah. It's a hard thing to explain, but it's tempered how I feel as a performer. Like I don't love performing the way that I did when I was like a young person. And I could like me, Tegan and I would show up at like house parties and it'd just be mm -hmm. scorchingly loud and everything was out of <laughs> it was just power. You're getting like you're getting like like shocked by the mic. For real. I watched back video of us like performing those first couple of years when we were still on monitors, like live monitors. And it's just yeah. power. It's loud and it sounds like <laughs> shit, you know? And it's like, but it felt yeah. so good. And really, I mean, what we're all talking about here is just like what getting what we desire, like the feeling that we desire on stage is not always in the best interest of what it sounds like to the audience and finding some sort mm. of see between each other where it's like we sound good enough for the audience to be excited, but we also feel good is like it is just the it's the quest, the quest of our lives. That's why I, that's why I like my new sound guy. I'm like I'm my front of house guy is dope. And she's like, I like finally because, you know. It's hard, you know. There's nothing worse than than getting off stage and feeling like it was great, like you know, like you were saying. But then the audience goes, "I just wish I could hear you more." <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Can I have a moment? <laughs> well, my, you know what? My least favorite, my least favorite question or comment is when someone comes backstage after the show and they say, "How was it for you?" Oh my! Did you have fun up there? Yeah, like that's, that's my, not what I want to hear. I want to hear. I'm gonna fucking kill you. Yeah, like, tell me how much fun you had and how good it was. Start there. <laughs> Did you have fun up there? I was like, I was like, please come and get this person whoever this fuck this is. <laughs> um, this has been such a delight to talk to you. Um, you too. I thank you for humoring you guys, and I just absolutely think you're the best, and uh, just it's such an honor to talk to you. Well, it was so amazing much respect. To, to get to jump into your artist brain. And um, please, come, please come to Vancouver so we can come out and see you play. Yeah. And yeah. and not to sound like some, you know, some 
douchebag, but let's write a song. Could we? Yeah. I, know, I never really Maybe we should. thought about it. But <laughs> then I was like, I never you know what? Why? Why can I not write a song with you guys? I would love that. <laughs> I mean, and I, it, it, could either, okay. it could be for me. It could be for other people. I don't want to ever say like, hey, let me write a song for you guys. Like, no, let's write a song for but, Celine. Yeah, no, I'm in. Oh, <laughs> that'd be great. Um, when you guys ever come to LA, do you come to LA? Even just for you know, nice yeah. beer or something. Did you guys drink beer or anything? We we, just, we do drink. Yeah, we do. Sick. We do. Okay, good. I'd love to have you over. You know, awesome. Make you a fucking martini, margarita, whatever the hell you want. Delicious. Love Nick it. Pony zombie. That's exactly what I'm saying. I live in the. I just had my first martini. It was really fun. What kind of about you? Gin or vodka? It was a vodka martini. I'd never oh. had one. It was less gross than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> oh, wow. Martinis, when they're made properly, are good, and they can't be big. They're really small. Not just little small. teenies. Yeah. yeah. This was a pleasure. Yeah, thank, you, thank so you very much. You guys are lovely and uh, so fucking talented. And Yay. <laughs> Have a great rest of your tour. Thanks for listening to the Talk House podcast, and thanks to Tegan and Sarah and LP for chatting. If you liked what you heard, please follow Talk House on your favorite podcasting platform and check out all the good stuff at talkhouse.com. This episode was produced by Myron Kaplan, and the Talk House theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time. <laughs>